Hey, pull out your message notes. I'm going to share a message. I'm not in a series, so I'm a little bit, uh, you know, normally I, I preach out of series, but for the next couple of weeks, I'll be out of a series. I've just, what I thought I would do is I would just share messages that God has really placed in my heart. And really the best messages that I could ever share are messages that God is speaking to me personally. Uh, it's, it's, it's out of an overflow of where he is dealing with me and some things that he's talking to me about. And so if I was to title today's message, really I would call it Get In Position. Get In Position. And I want to talk from 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. And I want to give you a little bit of a background and history uh, for those of you that are not uh, you know, if you're new to the faith or you've not been in church your whole life, I just want to set these up, these verses, verses and passages so that you understand it. Uh, the, the passage is about the prophet uh, Elisha. Now, Elisha is a prophet from God. Uh, he is someone that God used to perform many signs and wonders. God spoke to the prophet and then the prophet spoke to the people on behalf of God. Now, Elisha is coming to the end of his life. So he's about to pass away. He's about to cross over into eternity. And the king of Israel is coming to see Elisha. Now, it's interesting, the king of Israel, they have not been living for God. And Israel has this pattern of loving God, serving God, living for God, and then things get good and they kind of fall away. Anybody ever felt that in your life? Like God does a few good things for you and you forget who did those things for you. Well, Israel is much like that, going back and forth. And when they serve God and put God first, they, they see victory in their lives and in the nation. This is a moment where they're not seeing victory. And so the king is going to see the prophet, the man of God, and he really, if you were to look at it and dissect it, he's really nervous that his enemies are going to defeat him and the nation of Israel. And so Elisha begins to speak to him on behalf of God, and, and we'll see the story unfold. In verse 14, it says, Elisha came down sick, and it was this sickness that he would die soon. So he was going to die because of it. Um, Jehoash, king of Israel, paid him a visit. When he saw him, he wept openly, crying, My father, my father, chariots of horsemen of Israel. Now, you may not understand that term, but really, when he says that, chariot and horsemen of Israel, uh, Elisha would have said that about Elijah, because if you know anything about the story of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah mentored Elisha. And Elijah never died. He actually was taken up into heaven on chariot and a fiery chariot and horses that were drawing him into heaven. And so Elisha would have said this about Elijah as a form of honor. He was honoring the prophet that mentored him. And so now what we see is we see a king saying the same thing to Elisha that Elijah, Elisha said to Elijah. Now, why is that significant? I just think it's significant because how you treat people is how others will treat you. And I think in a day and age where we don't really give honor, we've got to understand that honor is what begets honor. If you want someone to honor you, come on, how many know you need to honor other people? And we've got to make sure that as a church, and listen, young people, I don't care, you know, I introduce myself as Jim and all that, I don't care what you call me, but at some point in some level, the people in our lives, we ought to refer to people with honor. We ought to refer to them for the sacrifice that they've given in their lives and honor what they done we are standing on other people's shoulders 
And we got to continue even in this church. And, and, and again, it's not just in titles, but it's in the way we, we honor. Look, I love the fact I've got a whole row of senior citizens that sit on that third or fourth row in the first service. My whole cheering squad. I love it. You can think I'm old and dying out. I got nothing left to give. I need you to know we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need everything that you are. Don't quit and give up because you're getting old. We honor you. But we also honor the young people. Listen, young people, I know people said you're too young. You're not too young. God changed the world with a handful of teenagers. And so we honor up, we honor around, and we honor down. I just think it's interesting in this. Let's continue in verse 15. Elisha told him, go and get a bow and some arrows. The king brought him the bow and the arrows, and he told the king, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on the bow, and Elisha put his hand over the hand of the king. Then Elisha said, go open the east window, and he opened it. Now, that would have been significant because when he faced the east, it would have been the Transjordan region, which is where the nation of Syria would have been, which would have been the direction of his enemies. So basically, Elisha is saying, don't run from your enemies, face your enemies. And I think we have to be careful as Christians that we don't tuck tail and run when the devil starts coming knocking on our door. we got to face the enemies of our life. God didn't call you to leave and retreat. He called you to fight in his power. you got to stand up. got to fight. He's called you to fight the good fight of faith. And then in verse 17, he said, then he said, shoot. And he shot the arrow of God's salvation, exclaimed Elisha. What is he saying? He's saying, look, God's going to save you. And then he says, look, the arrow of deliverance from Aram, you will do battle against Aram until there's nothing left of it. So you're going to face your enemy, you're going to fight them, and I'm going to destroy your enemy. I mean, that's a nice word to get. How many want God to destroy your enemies? He says, now pick up the other arrows. And Elisha said, uh, Elisha told him, he picked up the arrows and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And the king struck the ground three times and then he quit. Then verse 19, it says, the holy man became angry with him. Why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would have beat Aram until it was finished. As it is, you will defeat him three times only. Now, it's a very interesting story. Um, Israel, like I said, had turned away. Um, This king is nervous that his enemies are about to come and defeat him and the nation of Israel. He knows Elisha is sick. And so when you think about the story, Elisha actually represented God with the people because he was God's representative to the nation of Israel. Even though they had turned away from God, they knew that God was still with them. Why? Because Elisha was there. But the king now knows, look, I'm in a little bit of trouble. And now that he's in trouble, look, the prophet had been there the whole time, but the scripture only records him coming now when he's in trouble. Why is it that in our life we tend to only go to God when we're in trouble? I mean, isn't that an interesting pattern? Like God's been there the whole time. God's always loved you. God's always set you apart. Maybe you were coming to church for a little while and then you started falling asleep like we talked about last weekend and you start to get into some trouble. Your marriage is falling apart. You can't seem to speak to your spouse. Your kids are doing things they know they shouldn't do, but you can't seem to get your family working. Your boss doesn't like you. Your coworkers don't like you. Your finances are falling apart. Everything in your life is falling apart you've fallen into some trouble 
And it's so easy, right? I mean, we come to church, and, and, and as a pastor, I've been able to pastor this amazing church for six years. And it is interesting that many times what draws people is not when life's going good, it's when life's going bad. There's just a little bit of trouble. And I want you to know this. If you're here this morning and you're in trouble, you're in the right place. God brought you here for such a time as this. You're in the perfect place. My only thing to this king and to each and every one of us is why does it have to only be when we're in trouble? Why can't we just stay with God in the good times and the bad times? When we're doing good and when we're not doing good. When life's going well and when life's falling apart, we need to make sure that God stays at the center. And so we find this story, this is where the king finds himself, right? He's desperate, he'll do anything. And that's where most of us get to the point where we actually obey God. I mean, can, I, can we just be honest? Like if it ain't painful enough for me to do what God's asking me to do, I'm going to stay a little bit in my sin and my little bit of, of waywardness. Why? Because the pain's not great enough to make me move and advance my life in a direction that I don't want to move it in. And so he's desperate, and here's what's interesting. Now he's ready, he's alert, he's willing to do whatever God speaks to him to do. And we see in verse 15, he says, go get the bow, go get some arrows. So the king brings him the bow and arrows, and the king. T- uh, then he told the king, put your hand on the bow. And then he puts his hand on the bow, and then Elisha puts his hand over the hand of the king. Now what Elisha was really telling this king is, look, I need you to go ahead and get in position. I need you to go ahead and get in a stance. If you want to receive the blessing of God, I need each and every one of us to know you've got to get into the right position. This man was looking for victory. This man was looking for relief. This man was looking for some wins in his life. And for us, we can have the same thing. We've got some problems, some challenges, some struggles. And what we got to know is God will never bring victory until we get in alignment. So we say, well, pastor, what's alignment? Alignment's being in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. The right place, the right time doing the right thing. And and you got to know that doing the right thing is not always easy. Can I get an amen? I I, I preach a little better if you guys will amen me a little bit more because I'm preaching better than you're amening. But but the right thing is this. it's, It's not always the easiest. It's not always comfortable. I mean, just think about this king. And as he is shooting the arrow, I'm pretty sure that his job description as a king was not an archer. I'm sure it wasn't for him to be the best. I bet this king didn't have to shoot a bullseye with those arrows because he had marksmen that could stand beside him. And he'd say, shoot, and they would shoot, and they could hit anything. So this was probably not his job description. And yet what we see is though others could do it better than him, God called him to do it. Why? Because he's got to get in position. I know that sometimes in your life you think, well, God, what you're asking me to do, I would do, but other people can do it. What we have to understand is it's not about our position and our comfort and our job description. Doesn't matter if you like it. Doesn't matter if it feels good. Doesn't matter if you're the best or not. What matters is, am I obeying the word of God in my life? And sometimes what we want to do is we say, God, I don't want to do that. that that's, that's someone else's job description. God, I, I, I don't want to stoop to their level. But isn't it interesting that even in all the scripture, you have stories like Joseph. What did he do? He developed his character in the prison. I bet Joseph didn't want to be in a prison. Come on, David, he's out there. You know where he learned how to beat a giant? It wasn't out there on the battlefield. It was playing skillfully in the field. 
in obscurity where nobody would see. You know where Samuel learned how to hear the voice of God? See, God, I want to hear your voice. He learned the voice of God while he was serving in the temple. That's what made him a great prophet was in the serving he learned to develop his ear. And sometimes what happens, God wants you to get in position to do what he's asking you to do. But the challenge is we say, God, that's not my job description. I'm better than that. I'm bigger than that. Someone else can do it, not me. And God says, that's fine, but you're never going to experience victory. Why does God do this? I mean, the truth is God does it because he's working on some things inside of us. He wants to know, are you obedient? He's not looking for the best. He's looking for obedience. And he wants to know if we will actually begin to depend on him. Will you depend on me when you don't feel qualified? Anybody ever not felt qualified? Anybody ever felt not educated enough? Anybody ever felt like there were other people that were better and greater and had more gifts and talents? But this is amazing. God doesn't qualify or call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He says, you get in position. I'm going to qualify you. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to step you in there with my strength. I mean, my whole life, I know people say, well, you got the platform now. You judge my life right now. But you have to understand there were 35 years before we ever launched this church where my life was being developed in obscurity on tasks that I didn't want to do with responsibilities I didn't feel qualified for things that I hated. I literally had jobs I hated. And some of us, we can't work a job if I don't like that person. They didn't honor me enough. They didn't give me enough kudos. Well, who are you working for? Are you working for them or are you working for God? I remember at 16 years old working construction. Nobody made me do it. It was really God. I, now that I look back on it, pouring concrete, digging ditches. You want to break your back? Dig some ditches. You want to you be in obscurity? Go dig some ditches. Ain't nobody coming out there to pat me on the back and say what an amazing. That ditch is so straight. But you know what happened? As a 16-year-old boy, I'd put in cassette tapes. I'd listen to Joyce Meyer, Creflo Dollar, all the tapes my mom had. And I was bored to death, so I'm like, at least let me listen to something. And I remember just, just digging those ditches, and then Joyce Myers was saying, God honors excellence. And so I'd say, well, this ditch has to be excellent. I'm going to do the best I can. Everybody else taking breaks because the boss is gone, but my boss is still on the throne. So I'm taking these steps and doing what I got to do. Days I didn't want to get up and go work. Days I didn't want to get up. My back hurt. My body hurt. And I just remembered. And when I look at it now, I've got the tenacity to not quit. When it gets tough, when your body's aching, when you're hurting, I'm not going to quit. Why? Because I cannot quit. I will not quit. Quitting is not an option. I remember... Those days of teen mania, and when I was in ministry, you know, I thought, man, I'm going into full-time ministry. It's going to be amazing. Like, now I'm going to preach the word because I knew I had a calling of God in my life. And I went to go work at this ministry, which was the greatest four years of preparation to this day. But at the very beginning, the lady, I, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sitting here writing all this content. And, and, and so what, check this out. When you're called to preach... Do you know the most frustrating thing in the world? It's not watching someone else preach. It's writing the message that someone else preaches. God would say, so, so she said, look, you're never going to preach. Well, what do you want me to do? I want you to write the content for the people that are going to speak. Uh, what do you mean? I want you to make them look good. Yeah, 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 but this is my content, but this is my heart. I'm the, no, 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 baby, you're going to set them up on their platform, and when you do that faithfully, when you play in the field, when you do all the things I've called you to do, then I'll give you your own platform, and someone will serve you. Yeah. 
And I just remember the frustration of, and, and I just said, God, I'm gonna write the I'm gonna make them the best speaker possible. I'd find stories and illustration and, and content, whatever it would take for me to do. talk about setting up and tearing down. I never asked to be a pastor. It's very interesting. I remember 20 years of age, whatever. It was it was just so random and does thought. A thought came to mind, and I think Phyllis and I were just married. I'm like, I would never pastor a church. Like the one thing, I'll go do missions, I'll do this, but I just couldn't. How many know God has a way of turning things around in your life? Don't ever tell God never. I just learned when that starts to come out, I'm just like, shut up, Jim, shut up, 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 shut up. Don't say it. Don't even let it, don't let it come out your mouth. And I just remember I went to work at a church and I've learned that I am an assignment person. I, I, I learned how to get into position. Someone said, well, what is it? It's learning that you're on an assignment. I'm not looking for the next because I'm faithful in the now. I'm not trying to get the promotion. I'm not trying to get the next position. I'm not trying to go to the next place. God, I'm sitting here for when? For how long? Forever until God moves me. In other words, nobody can move me out of my position until it is surely and truly the hand of God. And I just remember bathrooms, cleaning up stalls and poop and mopping and raising up all the, the janitor team and setting out chairs. And, and I just remember nobody wants to do it. It's hard. It's hard to get out there when you think you got a call on the inside. you got gifts. you got this, this dream on the inside. And God's saying, I need you to stoop low so I can raise you high. But the flesh kicks back and says, no, I want to start high. God doesn't start us off at the top. He starts us at the bottom. Why? Because he's getting us into position. And that's what we see here. We see this king getting into position. And he's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to do what the prophet says for how long? For, for as long as I need to do. And, and I'm concerned because sometimes we experience vict, uh, defeat and it's got nothing to do with anything except for the fact we got out of position. Look at Luke 16, 11. If you're faithful with little things, he'll make you faithful over large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibility. Some of us have got to go back and evaluate, am I in position? Am I faithful in the little things that God has asked me to do? Things get a little hard. And I, we're all, we all are subject to this. Listen, even today, my, my getting into position is still something I am constantly focused on. That I've got to make sure I'm doing the things God's asked me to do and it may get hard it may get tiresome I may be exhausted but the truth is victory doesn't come because you're that great you're that talented you're that smart you got the greatest team victory becomes because we're obedient to God that's where God begins to fight the battle for us and the second thing the king we see in his life is that he didn't have to go very far to get what he needed so you got to know this you've got what you need Elisha just told him, pick up the bow, pick up the arrows. In other words, it's right there. I need you just to get what's already around you. You've got what you need. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything you need, you already have. And sometimes we can get trapped up in the lie of the enemy of what I need is over there. I need that church, that pastor, that mentor. If I had that, then I would be just like them. 
Come on, somebody. I know, I know you got a little quiet on me, but, but, I, but I need that job. You know what I'm talking about? That job that you applied for, you did 21 days of prayer, you've been fasting, seeking God, and you've been believing for that job, and you say, I believe that's my job, and they didn't give it to you, and you thought they were hating on you because they promoted or hired someone that wasn't as qualified as you, and what you failed to realize is that God will not give you that job until you're faithful with this job. I'm preaching, and that's okay. Y'all just take it in. I'm just taking it in. And single people, listen, it's like, God, I need that man. Woo! You know, single ladies. God, if I had that man, if I had that woman, I could be the right kind of person. And, and you're always pointing to what you don't have, but the truth is, if you need that man or that woman, that woman, you're not a whole person, and half people, fractured people don't make a whole. Two holes make a whole. And that person that you're praying for God for now in a couple of years, you'll be saying, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Like, I'm going to kill him. Pastor, you better come to my house because I'm going to kill this man right here. I'm going to jail for real. Because you think that's what you need. And listen, husbands and wives, look, you don't need that other girl. You don't need that other man. You know, the one that's showing you attention because he knows your marriage isn't doing so good. The one that tells you what you need to hear to feel good about yourself. See, the distraction is that enemy wants to pull you out of what God has called you to because he wants you to live out in defeat. And so you're distracted. And now the enemy has convinced you that this marriage, I married the wrong person. I mean, have you ever heard this? We're not compatible. What? Have you ever met a man and a woman that were ever compatible? We don't even speak the same language, somebody. Like, and, and then we believe this lie, well, I married the wrong person. But you didn't believe that lie when you said I do. You didn't believe that lie when your marriage was good and God was moving. But now that you not have that in your life, you're, you're believing the lie. The enemy's got you. And here's the challenge. All oh, the grass is greener on the other side. No, baby, the grass is greener where you water it. So why don't we take care of this and stop looking at that? <laughs> Think about the church. You know, it's, it's so easy to say, well, if I, if I went to that church, in fact, I may go to that church. You know, you came to visit Anchor Bend and the first church, you're looking for churches and you came here and you said, man, this is the place. We ain't even got to look. Why? Because God spoke to your heart that this is the right place, that I'm your pastor for you to dig in. You begin to dig in, but Sister Wonderful and Brother Amazing have offended you, have said something, done something, which probably happened because we're all flawed people. And the reality is now you're allowing them to put frustration and offense in your heart. And you're saying, well, maybe we need to go to that church and listen to that pastor because clearly it's nothing in here that we need. And the truth is it's the enemy trying to get you out of God's position when do you leave a church when God tells you and I always find it interesting you know so I was at this and, and let me just tell you this there are seasons where God moves you to another church it's awesome but I have found more often than not God ain't involved in that decision at all I was at the same church for 25 years I promise you there were some offensive situations and statements and things said. But what I learned was this. What I need is not in the people. It's in the soil. And the only place I can get what I need is in the soil of the church. 
And it touches on a pain in my heart. And if I'm running, then I blame everybody else. Well, it's their fault. They did. They should have. And the truth is, that pain is real because you've got a past you've got to deal with. You've got to have freedom from the past. And God has you here because he's trying to give you freedom so that you can bring other people to freedom. But you're getting yourself out of position. Getting out of position. So you've got to make sure you're in position. Realizing what I need I already have. And the third thing is this. you got to understand that you're shot. I, I love the story when we see this. Elisha had the king shoot the arrow. Elisha had the king grab the arrows and strike them on the ground. Notice that the prophet who represents God did not do it for him. Notice that the king didn't summon one of his best archers to come and shoot the arrow. He didn't ask his spouse. He didn't ask his friends. He didn't ask the king. What happens here is that the the prophet says, yes, those people could do it, but you're the one that should do it. You have to do this. And here's what you got to know. I don't care how many times you get prayed for or prophesied over. I don't care how many times you come down to the altar. I don't care how many dreams and visions you have. I don't, I don't care how spiritual you are. There comes a point in your life where you are the one that has to simply do the work. You've got to do the task. You've got to do the assignment. You've got to do what it is God's called you to do. Stop praying about it. Stop fasting about it. It's not a spiritual issue. It's a natural issue of obedience. Sometimes we hyper-spiritualize things, and I've just learned God is so practical that it ain't about getting a word from heaven when I've already got a word from God that I'm not obeying. I learned in my life when I lost my place, when I get sidetracked, I'll tell Phyllis, I don't know if I'm hearing from God. I feel like I'm not seeing things clearly. Then I'll talk and pray to God and ask him, and he says, what's the last thing I asked you to do? I don't need you to pray anymore about it. I don't need you to fast anymore about it. I just need you to go and do it, and if you'll do it, the heavens will open up, and I'll give you your next assignment. And this is what I would say too. Look, we got to stop complaining. See, we complain about our situation instead of doing what it is God's asked us to do, whatever the assignment is. And, and then you got to recognize that it's, it's for a season. How long is this season? I don't know. That's between you and God. I, I, I don't have a clue. Seasons change and they vary. But what I do know is that as we complain, the problem is when we're doing that, we put the blame on something else. And so many people, I'm so tired, and it's kind of a funny love-hate deal. I'm tired of people blaming the devil. The devil ain't got nothing to do with the problems in your life. The devil ain't got nothing to do with the defeat you're experiencing. The devil ain't got nothing. He ain't even had to lift a finger. It's simply you're complaining and not obeying. And so the devil gets too much credit. It's like, well, the devil destroyed my marriage. No, baby, the thing that destroyed your marriage is you didn't spend time together. Everybody got real quiet. <laughs> devil destroyed my family. No, no, the problem is you didn't spend time with your kids. Like at the end of the day, that this is that response. Look, who's, who's got to raise your kids? You've got to raise your kids. Who's got who's to be in charge of your marriage? You've got to own your marriage. Who's got to be in charge of your job? You've got to do it. It wasn't your boss. It wasn't your coworker. There are rare exceptions where that's not the case. But for the most part, most of it is self-sabotage because we're not focused on the assignment that God's given us in our life. And, and I, I just have learned, which has become a value that we have here at the church, it's called grit. Anybody heard of grit? Grit is grit. Someone say, well, what it, it's our resolve. You know, it's how we started this church. And, and if I had to say where that value came from, it probably came from me digging ditches. 
just the resolve of, I, I'm just not going to quit. And, and then we reproduce it in this church. And, and if you want to know what grit is, grit is a can-do attitude. Instead of walking around and saying, I can't do this marriage anymore. I can't handle you kids anymore. I hate this boss. I can't do this job anymore. Instead of saying that, what if we said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can have a great marriage. I can have amazing kids. I can have an awesome workplace in my life. I can Let's continue to read, and the prophet gives instruction, and king's the one that had to do the work, which is interesting in and of itself, but the king is the one who had to decide how he would do the work. It says in verse 18, now pick up the other arrows, Elisha said, he picked them up. Then he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground, and the king struck the ground three times, and he quit. Now, it's, you know, when you look at this, and, and really God's been speaking to me on this passage for some time, and I've read it over and over and over and over again, and it's very interesting what happens next, because it says that the prophet actually gets mad at him, becomes angry, and he said, why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would beat a ram until it was finished and totally destroyed, but now you're only going to beat him three times. And, and I find that interesting because when you read the passage, how many are like, at least he did what God said? Come on, how many read that? You're like, well, that's not even fair. And, and you know, I began to ask the Holy Spirit about it. So what's, what's up with this? I don't, I don't really understand. And I think the prophet's response gives us an indication because the implication of his response is that this king, this king gave a half-hearted response. His obedience was half-hearted. Well, how come? Because perfection, according to the prophet, total victory would have been six. He gave three. So the indication and implication is that he did this response even though he was obedient, even though he listened to the word of the Lord. He did it in a way that was half-hearted. And I love it, too, because I, I felt like the Lord said this. I didn't even ask him for perfection. Perfection would have been six. He said five or six. And I got a little bit of hope in that. You know, for me, I, I'm not the smartest, sharpest, brightest kid on the block. Sometimes I'm a little stubborn and it takes a little bit, but I've learned this. God, I can't reach perfection, but what if I give you my best effort? God, just my best effort. And what I feel like the Lord was saying there was that five would have just been your best effort. Some of you are striving for perfection. Some of you think, God, i got to be perfect. God's like, I don't need you to be perfect. But when you serve, can it be with your best effort? When you come to church, can it be with your best effort? When you give into your marriage, can it be with your best effort? Your family, your job, your finance. All I'm looking for for victory is your best effort. In other words, he's saying, look, good enough is not God's best. Good enough is not God's best. And some of you, again, you're on the job and it's like, hey, they are lucky to have me. God, I'm doing what you said. You said to work in this place and I'll do it. I'll walk through the doors. Yeah, but you walk in late and you leave early. You disrespect the boss because you lost respect for him. You breed strife and division and contention in the place. Yeah, you're right. You're there but you're not giving it your best effort. 
I mean, it even happens in the church in the dream team, and I love it, man. We have hundreds of people that serve each and every week, and, and God said, hey, I want you to get involved. I want you to uncover your passion, begin to serve and make a difference, and you know, when you first start serving the passion of God, you're like, I'm going to shake every hand as if it's the last time I'll ever see that person. I'm going to give them a, a hug no matter what I'm walking through. I'm going to show them the love of God like they showed it to me, and six months later, you're tired. Send it out there hosting people. You'll shake about every other hand. You'll love on them if you had a good morning. I mean, you'll join and be a part if it's convenient. And, and what we realize is God's not looking just for you to do the outward obedience. He's looking for the inward expression of your heart. And i got to tell you, there are many days in my life that I've woken up and I've said, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. It's not the desire of my heart. And God said, it's not about how you feel. It's the decision you make. What decision will you make? Will you live wholehearted for me? And I have to tell you, there's days that I win and days that I fail, but I am striving for my best effort. Now, what Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it all with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. That means whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, anything in your life. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God. And what I've learned is if I will live my life on assignment, giving everything I've got, being in position, taking the shot, doing the thing God's called me to do it. And if I do it with my whole heart, I have learned I'm not going to stay in that assignment for a long while because God's going to promote me. It's always a test of my heart. God, I don't want you just to have my actions. That, that's where religion begins to bind us up, right? You did the right things. Looks good to everybody else. Everybody, Woo, sister, wonderful. Woo, brother, awesome. Woo. And God said, yeah, yeah, but they don't see what I see. Isn't that amazing? David, you know why he became king? Not because he was, see, Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. Saul in the natural was the man. They said, we want to follow that man. David wasn't like that. David, the Bible says, was a ruddy young man. Now, he was handsome, no doubt. He was strong. He was fierce. He was mighty. But the amazing thing is Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice. Saul was the one they looked at the exterior. Yeah, you got it together. You show up on Dream Team. You do. You give. You do all the things in the natural that would qualify you. And yet God said, you're disqualified because you don't love me. You don't serve me. You don't obey me. I know you're doing some of the right things, but I don't have your heart. But there's a man that I'm raising up. He's playing skillfully in the field, in obscurity, in a place where no one would think to look except me. And and the thing that qualifies him is his heart. The Bible says that David had a heart after God. What's our heart look like? Because see, we, we can blame God. God, it's your fault. I'm not experiencing the victory. No, no, no. I, I'm just learning. And I am nowhere near having it all figured out. I mean, I was walking through some, even I, I was telling our staff, it's nobody's fault, it's my fault. I take responsibility. Talk about, I got it, it's me. I, if I don't own it, then I can't change it. So what in my life, like, yes, God, you're going to move, but God, I, I have figured this out. God moves supernaturally when we move naturally. Every miracle in the Bible, there's a response in the natural, and then the supernatural power of God comes into our life. And some of us, we just got to get back into alignment because what got you here will not get you there. And it's something we have to constantly realign our lives. God, am I doing what you said to do? God, am I, am I saying what you told me to say? God, am I being the person you called me to be? And realigning myself up. Why? Because how I got here, that's not going to be how we get there, guys. 
We want the promise of God. We want the miracle of God. We want the victory of God. That means we're going to have to continue to realign our life with God's purpose and his plan. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to pro- prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. So if you're not living in that hope, in that future, in the victory, I'm just telling you, God wants you to experience that. And you know, this morning, I wonder if we could just reflect on ourselves. Because, you know, as I was praying over this message, and I really felt like there were two types of people that were going to be here this morning that would respond to this. The first are those that are just out of alignment. I mean, you know it. God knows it. You just, you, God spoke to you to do something, but you just, the truth is you're just not doing it. And, and you thought there was a workaround. A lot of times in life, we like life hacks. Anybody like a life hack? Just a workaround. I need you to know God doesn't do workarounds. He just doesn't do it. There ain't no fast food God. There's no, you know, nothing about God is fast and easy and working around. It's going to take grit and tenacity and focus and work and prayer and fast. I mean, it's just all the things of life. But it, that's what it takes to bring heaven to earth. How I many know we're going to do what it takes to bring heaven to earth? And I, I love the fact that he had the king shoot the arrow. You know, it's really a menial task. I mean, he didn't get the king to do something grandeur that a king should do. It was just, hey, bro, shoot an arrow. Well, that's dumb. That's what I pay archers to do. Oh, that's, that's, that's below. And, and many times, the key to your victory is something small. Isn't that interesting? Just something simple. Show up here. Serve there. Give this. Be a part of that. Go and whatever it is, you've got to decide what it is. And so we look for this big complex thing, this spiritual answer to this natural problem. And the truth is we already have our answer. And so some of you, this is your response. i got to get in alignment. What's that mean? Go back to the thing you know God spoke to you to do. Every one of you, you know what that is. And if you don't, ask God to show you. He'll show you. Then you just got to obey. The second one is this. I felt really this morning compelled to pray for people that are in alignment, but just barely. Like life has thrown you some curveballs. You started serving. Things are going well, but your marriage started falling apart. Just your family, you're tired, you're exhausted. You've been doing this for a while. The devil's lying to you, telling you lies, and you start to get concerned that you're believing it. And what you realized this morning was, I'm in danger of getting out of alignment. I want to pray that God's grace and strength and peace would be in your life. And that this is a message that refocuses your heart, that you're on the right path. The devil is a liar. And what he's trying to do is defeat you in your life, to steal, kill, and to destroy. But God has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I know everybody's looking around and, you know, but this response, I want both of those groups just to stand up. I'm going to pray with you. You need to get in alignment. You said people are looking. Yeah, they're looking. It's okay. I don't care if two people stand up, three, five. The others look, man, I'm, I'm nervous because I'm feeling like I may be pulled out of alignment. And I've been there. I've been in both places. Listen, I, even recently, I had to realign my life. If, if I could be, I'd be right there standing right up there with you. So I'm going to put myself standing. Come on, somebody. Preaching to me. I think there's a couple more. Your heart's beating a little fast. What are people going to think? Who cares what people are going to think because it's victory. Victory. The devil's lied to you for too long. 
She'll give you another second. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, we're family. I sense the anointing of God is really penetrating our hearts. Why don't we do this? Just close your eyes and I'm going to pray over you and then we're going to sing just a worship chorus in just a second. Everybody stand up and sing it. But if that's you and you're standing up, I want you to just begin to pray to God. Just talk to him. Say, God, this, this is your moment to respond to God. God, I'm sorry. I'm out of alignment. God, help me stay in alignment, God. And just, just whatever it is, your response, a personal response, God, right now, right now, right now. Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, we worship you. We praise you, God. God, I pray for every person that is standing up. Lord, I'm asking you, let your anointing saturate their hearts. Lord, that's what destroys the yoke. Your word has been presented. And God, I declare that there is now the illumination of truth. Lord, now I'm asking for your grace to fill their heart. I'm asking for your power to fill their life. Lord, that now they take this message, and it's not just information, but transformation. Holy Spirit, do what you can do right now. I pray that all the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the frustration and the pain, God, we ask you to remove it now in Jesus' name. And God, I thank you for a new day and a fresh start. That God, everything in their life would begin to glorify you like never before. Bring victory in their lives. In Jesus' name.